Teach is produced on the traditional land of the Kaurna people. The South Australian Department for Education would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to all elders, past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to Teach, a podcast about teaching and learning in South Australia. My name is Dale Atkinson from the Department for Education. And today we are meeting with Sylvia Groves from Salisbury High School and Ruth Musker from Murray Bridge High School. Every year we have what's known as Leaders Day. It's an opportunity for all the principals and preschool directors to come together. In the morning they hear from the Minister and the Chief Executive and other senior people in the department about the department's strategic direction, some of the priorities for the year ahead. And then in the afternoon, the really enriching part takes place, which is where the leaders come together and um, learn from one another. And Ruth and Sylvia were giving presentations at this year's Leaders' Day, and they were speaking about their high schools, their improvement journeys in those high schools, and the outcomes that they've been able to achieve for their students. So um, that's the reason why we're speaking with you two today. So, Sylvia and Ruth, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So, Ruth, to you first. Can you just give us a bit of context around your site? What's unique about Murray Bridge High School? Sure. Murray Bridge High School um, is a, a large rural school. I think one of the things that stands out for us is that we are the only feeder high school for our community. So we have um, lots of small primary schools that join together with us at high school. We are an entrepreneurial specialist school and a music-focused school. Yeah, and you've got a fairly diverse um, student background as well, don't you? A number of um, children from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Absolutely. backgrounds. Absolutely, yes. Um, and in addition to that, as a result of the industries that are up there, quite a number of children from international backgrounds as well. Less so while Thomas Foods, which is the major employer in the town, is rebuilding after the fire in 2018, which had a devastating impact on the community. And we saw a lot of our families having to leave to seek employment elsewhere. We're really looking forward to this year when Thomas Food's back online. And Sylvia, you're an hour and change away from Murray Bridge High School, but I think in terms of student population and parent background, we're, we're talking about a sort of similar similar sort of setting, aren't we? Well, we're a Category 2 school and with a high degree of complexity, which I'm sure mm. Murray Bridge is as well. Our numbers currently sit at just under 1,100. And we have over 30 different cultures represented at our site, which adds a richness that we love. 11% of our students are Aboriginal, which is high for a metropolitan school and which is also growing rapidly. We have 77 special needs students who also add a richness to our site. We have 234 students with an identified disability. We have um, 528 students identified in NCCD. A third of our students are EEL students and that's growing. 55% of our students are school card, which adds another layer of complexity. And our families experience significant social disadvantage, which has been exasperated by COVID, which continues to take a toll. Of our enrolling students in year seven, 37% were below C and in year eight, 36 were, which one of our priorities is to helping our kids to learn how to read. And in previous years, that deficit was closer to 50%. So we've had to train our teachers how to teach reading and now moving into the numeracy space. We're well supported by our families who believe the school will make a difference to their children. And for some time, we've had waiting lists to get into our school. And we're a positive site with minimal staff movement. And this, there is something about the school and the community that tethers staff to our school, which is great for stability. But one of the things that kind of jumps out as you, you talk is actually one of the things that um, also is very apparent in Ruth's presentation to the Leaders' Day, which is you both have a very clear focus on who are the kids that you're 
working with and you've got a really deep understanding of that. How, how do you go about gaining that deep understanding of your student cohort to help drive the improvement journey? For us, it's in a matter of going out to our um, feeder schools and really spending a lot of time working with teachers and with families to really understand what students bring to the table so that we're starting from a point where they're accessing learning already rather than assuming they're an empty slate. That's been really important to us. We have similar statistics to Salisbury in the number of students below standard of educational achievement in literacy and numeracy. So the mantra of a year's growth in a year for us can't happen. It has to be more than that and significantly more than that if we're going to get our kids to catch up. Is that a similar experience for you, mm-hmm. Sylvia? Absolutely. And we've got um, significant programs in place to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of um, our students, we have to know our students and relationships are the critical thing at our site. So we have a care program where students from year 7 to 10 stay with the same care teacher and then in 11 and 12 they will have a different care teacher. I also take a care class which helps me have a greater understanding of families and have that same connection with students. And our mantra is no surprises. So we need mm-hmm. to know all the time where our students are at and we expect that of our teachers as well. So we have a five-weekly reporting system. That's what our clients want. And while that is onerous for our staff, it does make a big difference. So those things don't happen by accident. They are built over time and, and done in a very deliberate way. How have you gone about that in terms of approaching that with your teams, with your, with your teachers and approaching that with your parent community? The focus has been on, yes, we're a complex site and, yes, we have our challenges, but let's focus on the over 95% of students who are there and just want to get on with learning. Let's work out what the systems are, the processes are that enable them to do what they need to do best and then add the support layers for those who need additional help. I think too, developing a culture of high expectations was really critical at Mm. our site because many years ago, and I've been lucky enough to be there for a long time, getting over the line was the main thing. Very few kids went to Mm. university and even the attitude of of staff to students wasn't high. So developing that strong culture of high expectations for both staff and students was really important at our site. And the mantra of no surprises so that we know what's going on at, at all times. So we worked really hard on getting helping the kids to believe that they can achieve and achieve well and they can compete and they're not defined by their postcode Mm -hmm. but we also had to develop structures to support our staff to build the belief for them and have the courage to give our kids 20s to know what a 20 looks like and to put structures in place so that the staff feel supported because initially they felt like we were over reporting Mm -hmm. and we do over report but that's what we need to do because we need to know so We listen to what our staff are saying. We put strategies in place to support them, whether it's no meetings during snapshot time. Um, When we get our results, we look at what sort of support do staff need, what structures can we put in place so that they feel the process is also about them as well. Yeah, Ruth, in in your presentation, um, I think there were a couple of very individual personalised stories from some of those students about some of the work that had gone on in terms of building their ambition and lifting their sights in terms of where they wanted to be. And I think that our teaching fraternity are absolutely critical in having those conversations 
kids have got to trust you first. Um, and, and I think that we're exactly yeah. the same. And once, once you build that level of trust, then you can have the hard conversations around, you know, what are you doing with the rest of your life? Let's, let's work out where you want to go, what direction you want to take and how we can support you to get there. So the individualised pathway planning is a very strong feature of our senior school. Yeah, is that something you focused on as well? Yeah, so we've used a multi-pronged approach. So we have the positive behaviour for learning, we have positive education and career development. And those things sort of steer the ship and we're constantly working on that. So we're always hunting for the good. We're looking at ways that we can move forward, not just for our students, but for our community as well. There's a lot of training and investment in those. What sort of focus have you both put on in terms of creating those teaching teams and those communities of learning among your staff? One of the critical things is that we had to create time to allow good things to happen. And schools are busy places. You can't expect that teachers will develop incredible lesson plans and do all the work that they need to happen during the day and also come up with great new ideas. So creating think tanks and opportunities for people to be involved in those has been really important for us. Quarantining time for teachers to work together means getting rid of the, you know, the extra. We always saw that the one-hour staff meeting was an essential element of our week and we've discovered that, you know what, a half hour or 20-minute online briefing every week is enough, which frees up 40 minutes for other things to happen. We're similar. We mm-hmm. have every Wednesday we finish um, the school day at 2.15 and that time then is quarantined for professional learning teams yes. and very much yes. the same intentional lesson planning, using data to make sure that we're getting the planning right for our students. The English teachers who are doing the literacy blocks in Year 7 and 8, they get half a day a term to support them in their planning for that. So it is very much valuing what the teachers are doing but also creating that space because if you don't create that space, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah, there's too no. many competing demand. So that's been really critical for us is having that time and listening to what staff need. And professional development has to be highly valued and teachers have to think that they have access to it, which they do. A large part of our budget goes towards professional development. In our situation, it's not just about teachers coming together in learning areas, but it's also around teachers who all teach common students getting together and finding out what it is about that student. Why are you getting success here where I'm not? What's happening in your class that's different in mine? Um, And I think that's been pivotal. We've also created an innovative pedagogies team of people who um, could put up their hand and say, I want to be part of that, who are leading forward more innovation that they can share with other staff who have less time. And that team is now looking at powerful learners and trying to build agency for our students because our students like things to be done to them. They don't actually want to have to think as much. So our drive now is to move from the teaching of embracing and getting the students to take more ownership of their own learning. As you describe that, it, it strikes me that these things build a momentum of their own. But I'm assuming that it takes a little bit of a push to start that ball rolling. Is that fair to say? Well, definitely with the PBL. So we were a positive behaviour for learning school for a number of years, but we sort of did it on our own. And there's just come up this opportunity where the departments uh, realise that this is a really good practice. And they've invited us, which to our surprise, because we're already doing it. And we went back to our staff to ask them if they thought it would be good for our school to do. 
and everyone but one said they wanted to do it. Getting the buy-in from staff is really important. So as a leader, it's really important that I give them all the information on why we should do it so that they also have ownership. And that's been a really big part of anything we do. And keeping the focus narrow, staff remind me that don't deviate too much, don't make us do other things when this is we're on the literacy path, which we've now broadened. Mm -hmm. Um, But initially they would say to me, but you said we weren't going to do anything else. So I have to listen to the staff a lot because... There's that professional trust, but I also have to let them take risks, and they do, and they don't always work out, but they feel confident that they can put up their hand and say, can I try this, and we will finance it and give them the courage to do it, and nine times out of ten it will benefit our students. Getting permission has has become so important in our lives, hasn't it? Yeah. And releasing for us too. You touched a bit earlier, actually, before we came on air, conversation about stability within the workforce being really important. How are you able to kind of maintain that? I think, Ruth, you said that in your Mm. presentation as well, that you've been able to keep a core team together. Yes, and I think for the first time in a long time, also having teachers from our side of our area reaching out and saying, gee, I'd like to come and work at your school, which is an absolute breath of fresh air. It is around building that reputation for teachers to be able to get on with what they love doing best, and that's teaching and learning, and removing barriers that teachers often see are the the stumbling blocks for what wears them down and, and makes life too hard. So having processes and procedures in place, supporting everyone um, to work together has changed the, the culture. And culture is very big at our site. Mm. And we have a lot of young staff, but we do have older staff as well who we value all different levels of experience. We try and also make it a social aspect. So at the moment, following COVID, we have themed happy hours. The tech studies did the block (laughs) and um, things like that. We're constantly trying to bring our staff together and value them and meet their needs, whether it's not to be isolated because COVID did isolate us for quite a while. But Salisbury, there's something that gets in our um, staff's blood. They want to stay there. We have many people who are there long-term. And probably our biggest issue now is that we have a lot of emerging leaders who want leadership at Salisbury but they don't want to leave and Mm. I can't provide enough leadership jobs Mm. and I see schools around me who don't have that stability that's one of the major reasons they struggle because they're constantly training and getting people up to speed and it takes time and going back over old ground when there's a a new influx of people as we're talking we are a couple of weeks out from year 12 exams we are by the time this goes to where probably will have been set can you talk to us a little bit about your ambitions for this year and what your expectations are I have huge expectations for seeing some of the processes and initiatives that we've put into place actually play out in a real sense. Our focus has, for the last two years, been on Aboriginal learners and their um, achievement and success and SACE completion and lots of work there in building capacity of staff and students. One of the areas that we've identified is that our students generally in an exam situation would be a grade lower than what their other grades are showing. The temptation for a lot of us to say, oh, well, they just need more exam practice um, is something that I've had to really fight because what we know is that it's the language that our students don't have, the sophistication of that language, the tier two and three words that help them tell what they know is what's lacking. And that's a longer-term process. And that's starting, as we do, in year eight and seven, in building that capacity and then seeing that change happen. Yeah, that shift between not just Mm. understanding 
Yes. The concepts, but being able to describe them as a sophisticated term. Mm. Right now we're working with every single Year 12 student to maximise their opportunity because we have been hit by COVID and Mm. these students for three years is embedded. And as I was speaking to before, attendance has been an issue for us. The competing demands of an opportunity for our students to get part-time work and extensive part-time work has impacted on their studies. So while we are expecting some really good results and one of our Aboriginal students is going to have exceptional results, which we're super excited about, we know that our results are not going to go on the trajectory we've had for the last number of years, which is a little bit disappointing for us because the hard work is still there. And students have also been less resilient and that will be a challenge for us in the future. When in doubt, they've opted out and no matter how much we've wanted them to remain in their schooling, that's been a challenge as well. But um, we don't give up and we will, till the... Till the death mm-hmm. now, we'll mm-hmm. be working with every yeah. student to make sure that they can maximise their opportunities. And and I think we're in, in exactly the same boat. The other um, area that we have developed is our independent learning centre, which currently has around 120 students from ages 16 to 21, so that the opportunities to reconnect with learning and to make that final step to complete SACE is still there for those kids who take that easier route when, when the going gets tough. Um, and we've had some above average state improvement in SACE completion through our ILC. It strikes me as speaking to both of you that there's a sort of underlying philosophy of being really strict on the things that you're going after, but with the flexibility about how you approach those things, the need to be adaptive to context and shift your thinking when the circumstances in front of you change. What are your priorities given COVID and some other things that have gone on in the last 18 months? What are your priorities moving forward within the structures that you've already set up? The key thing is Nothing new unless you take something away has been our mantra. Where does what we're initiating fit into our improvement agenda? And if it doesn't, then it doesn't happen. We had to remove a lot of barriers to learning, in particular the digital solution. It didn't matter how many different leasing and um, you know those kinds of arrangements we had in place. We never got more than 50% buy-in from our families. And in the end, we made the decision it is a crucial element and luckily we did, it was just before COVID, to say, right, we're just going to buy a a device for every student. Everyone then has a level playing field. That changed a lot of what we were able to do in those early years in in really maximising online learning opportunities, which for a lot of our kids when they were away, and this year it was the teacher was away one week and then this student was away next week and then another group away the week after. There was no continuity um, and it wasn't smooth, but we were able to set up systems where there wasn't that lack of availability of resources for kids. The backwards mapping of skills and literacy demands has been our biggest buy-in for staff. They can see that if kids need these skills in Year 12s, they don't magically arrive in Year 12 with them. They have to be developed and nurtured. So how do we design learning that enables that to happen? And once again, having the pockets of brilliance within our staff that take an idea and run with it, Murraybridge Writing Guide is an example of that. We know that our site improvement plan focus on literacy and new 
numeracy, but in our complex sites, there is more that goes on than that. And so developing a strategic plan around all of those elements and how they all fit together was really beneficial. So how do you, as leaders, how do you create time in your day-to-day for the instructional leadership piece in the face of, you know, those operational reactive demands? How do you keep your, your real focus on student outcomes? That is always a challenge and um, you can only have so many hours in the day. I'm very fortunate that I have an exceptional leadership team. So that allows me freedom and also because I have a lot of trust in them to do their roles. We also have strong levels of communication structures so that allows staff to reach to me and to other leadership and to support the voice across the site, which is really important. I make time for key meetings, but also fine-tune the meetings. So if it's not necessary, it's not going to happen and really value what's going on in those meetings and make sure I'm visible as much as possible so Mm. that I'm in tune with what's going on at the site. Observations has become a big part of what we do. Make sure that I'm in classrooms. And the best part of that is that it affirms what's going on in the school. And I get a lot of joy out of seeing what's going on and listening to the kids love it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, When you come in, you know, they like when you sit next to them and they hear and see what you're doing. Give feedback to staff, which, you know, they don't work in silos. They're part of a a bigger system. That's been something we're really working on is part of our um, school processes and is embraced by the staff as well. I constantly try and listen to staff and find ways that we work smarter, not harder. What are the important things? So for us, it's positive behaviour for learning will be a big thrust at our school and the getting the student agency. But we can't let go of the work we're doing in numeracy and literacy. And we also have to look at what are the good things we've got? What do we keep? Let's not keep changing for the sake of change as well. Having a care class, being on the front line in terms of parent interviews, year 12 kids, getting them in, all those sorts of things, that's what staff see as well. So it's really important I'm not just in my office, I'm not just doing emails, and which you could do all day, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Yes, you could. <laughs> um, but that, that's, I need to be really visible. And whether that's at, at happy hour, in the classrooms, walking, like often I'll be at the front gate in the mornings, um, the first lesson I'll often walk around to make sure kids are getting into class. Is that visibility that's really important. And I'd go one step further also and say that good leadership teams don't happen by accident and it is leading from the front foot. We found that like you, we have so many staff who have spent their time, want to head into leadership, don't necessarily have a leadership experience. So providing the opportunities for that training and as a whole leadership group, 24 of us all spent the whole of last year uh, on leadership training and then carrying on this year into the August um, instructional leadership. The mantra is that we are all instructional leaders and it's not just about me getting into classroom, it's about every single leader being in classroom and being visible around the school. And I think that the key thing for me, if it's not in my diary, it doesn't happen. (laughs) So I do have to schedule, get out of the office. That would be my key message to anyone. (laughs) Well, this is a conversation that I think could probably go on for another couple of hours, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest, if you didn't have to get out of the office and back out to running (laughs) schools, both of you. Thank you very much for your time. This has been really great. Sylvia, Ruth, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you.